It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We start with the changes to BC COVID rules and restrictions announced yesterday by Dr. Bonnie Henry. The fourth dose of the vaccine coming to BC. Seniors will get the first shot. The BC vaccine card gone starting this Friday. And here's one we've been following for you. Proof of vaccination for regulated health professionals. So dentists, physiotherapists, chiropractors, massage therapists will be required to disclose their vaccination status to their patients. Why are they doing that? Well, Bonnie Henry says it's all about informed consent. Here's what she had to say about it yesterday. We have been working with the 18 regulated health profession colleges to gather data on vaccine status of every registrant. And the deadline for this was March 31st, and the colleges are actively doing that right now. Um, We have good data on most people. Our team is now actively compiling this aggregated vaccination data by profession, and I will be reporting that out. People will have informed consent about whether they want to receive a procedure or a a healthcare service from a private practitioner who's vaccinated or not. All right, Dr. Bonnie Henry speaking yesterday. Do you want to know if your dentist is vaccinated? How about your dental hygienist? How about your registered massage therapist? Should you know if they're vaccinated or not? Let's discuss now with my guest, Ari Goldkind. Ari is a criminal lawyer, legal expert and commentator. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Ari, thanks for coming on today. Mike, you certainly have some juicy subjects lined up today. Listening to that batting order, I, I'm even interested in the conversations, and I'm in one of them. Well, that's excellent. Well, you can listen online for sure all day, all morning here. Sure. Okay, Ari, what do you think about this? This idea of forcing these prof- these healthcare professionals to disclose their vaccination status. There was one point when Bonnie Henry was talking about mandatory vaccination for these professionals. They backed off on that. Now it's disclose your vaccination status. Good idea? You know, first of all, and I think this will make for probably bad talk radio, I think there are compelling arguments on both sides, which you're not supposed to say when you're a guest on talk radio, but quite frankly, I don't care. My personal feeling is that this is a step too far. I think it goes far too far into Orwellian territory. I don't think it's necessary for the protection and safety of the public. I think it has witch hunt sort of aspects to it. We obviously know that the intention is, is to turn people against doctors who don't want to provide that uh, information or who themselves have chosen to not be vaccinated. And remember, Mike, There are a significant number of people out there who, if they could choose to not be vaccinated, would choose to. But like many people I know, and I know quite a few people who would tell you the same, they've made a choice to get vaccinated because you can't essentially function in Canada for the last year, year and a half without it. So, you know, it's one thing to say that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, which is total horse manure and not borne out by the science. The question becomes, Is it truly informed consent that it's keeping people safe or is it more political science rather than actual science? Because let me just finish the answer here. The next question that will come 
because it is not a long leap to it, in my view, is which way do you vote? Because that, to me, is as connected to this issue as anything to do with whether an unvaccinated doctor wearing full PPE, a dentist wearing full PPE, can spread anything to anybody. Well, a massage therapist is likely not going to be wearing full PPP. I mean, your chiropractor is probably not masked and gowned and and wearing a visor. I mean, you know, is it really a a witch hunt or is it just giving people the information that they deserve to know? So here's the the answer to that. That's why I said there are arguments on both sides. I assume that the registered massage therapist at the request of a client would be wearing a suitable and proper mask, not a bandana that they're going to a concert with a Rolling Stones sticky fingers label on it. But if you as a client want to be kept safe, you can insist. And by the way, this would apply for going to a haircut, Mike. You know, at at the end of the day, uh, you know, you're asking me if I am against this. I'm against this. But if I'm going to the dentist, if I'm going to the chiropractor or a massage therapist, I don't care their vaccination status. I care that, A, they don't have COVID. That's at the top of my mind. And I'm going to insist that I take my business, not to somebody who's vaccinated. This is just me. But somebody who takes the full measures in their office that I'm kept safe. Whether they've had an injection, a third booster, a fourth booster, we know the waning immunity of the fourth. I'm much more interested in me not getting COVID versus pointing a finger well, at somebody else's life choice. Okay, well, you're. I know you're not an anti-vaxxer, right? So, no, right. Not. So, like, why would anyone, if they're going to get their teeth cleaned and you're going to have a dental hygienist rooting around in your mouth for an hour, why would you not reasonably want some assurance that that person has had their vaccine? Because well, I don't... Well, how, is that, how is that Orwellian? I'll tell you why. Because I don't believe, and, you know, obviously your audience can do their own research on this. I don't believe whether they're vaccinated or not has anything to do with whether today, April, whatever it is, 2022, they have COVID. I'm concerned that they don't have COVID, and if they have it, that they don't spread it to me. The vaccine prevents hospitalizations and deaths, particularly in people out of shape, frail, and over 60. Again, I would much rather go to an, a person who does not have COVID, yeah. who demonstrably does not have COVID, Mike, is not wearing a mask and breathing on me versus going to somebody who's got a vaccine in them. But I have no idea if they went to a Vancouver Canucks or some other game last night or some party and they may have COVID. But- my concern is my health not necessarily their vaccination status. Speaking to Ari Goldkind about the change in COVID rules in BC. Hey, Ari, let me ask you about another recent change here in British Columbia. It's dropping the mask mandate for indoor public spaces in British Columbia, including also the mask mandate dropped in BC schools. It's interesting that the BC School Teachers Union uh, is concerned about that. They wanted the mask mandate to be kept in place. Also, BC's Human Rights Commissioner has complained about this and saying this has been hasty to drop the mask mandate in British Columbia. What are your thoughts on it? Time to drop the mask rule? The idea that anything about COVID two and a half years into this is hasty is a completely ridiculous notion to me. And with all due respect to the teachers' union, and I'm not looking to make enemies here, you know, if you look at the actions of the United States Teachers' Union, and particularly Randy Weingarten, if we did 
things the way they wanted to do it. We'd be masked in perpetuity, locked down in perpetuity, and little children would be wearing masks in perpetuity. At some point, at some point, we have to get to the point, Mike, where we realize there is a bigger world out there. There is inflation, which is killing, killing the economy and killing ordinary, average, hardworking, taxpaying Canadians and Americans. Anybody who thinks you can do these policies in a vacuum where there won't be other effects, suicides, mental health rates. Look at what's going on with young children and mental health. Look at the lack of development in three to seven-year-olds who haven't looked at a face in two and a half years. So while I said there are compelling arguments on both sides, and by the way, Mike, I do believe that, okay? I just think at some point there is a segment of our society that if it was up to them, we'd all be walking around in gas masks. My view is I'm masked. I still wear a mask everywhere, Mike, everywhere. But I don't give a dirty, I don't give, not outside, obviously, I'm not a moron, but I don't give somebody a dirty look who's in a restaurant or in a grocery store if they're not wearing a mask. I think if we had more of that, we'd be a much more civil society. All right, welcome back to the show. My guest is Ari Goldkind, and the phone lines are open. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. Lots of calls. Chris and Langley. Hi, Chris. Go ahead. Hey, guys. Uh, just, uh, Ari, I, I just noticed you kind of contradicted yourself a little bit there. Uh, you know, I, I tend to agree, actually, with what you're saying about the dentist and the doctor going there. You'd, you'd, you'd rather be more concerned about whether they have COVID or not, whether not whether they're vaccinated or not. I followed you along there, but then you go off to say that you go around everywhere masked, but you're not concerned about the guy who's not masking or not taking the precautions while you're standing in line with him at the grocery store. So the two kind of contradict each other. And uh, I think, uh, you know, we have to look towards being protective. And it's I don't know if it's Orwellian to to expect that people take care of each other. Ari, your thoughts? Yeah, so I think it's a fair question, and I respectfully disagree with your caller. I don't think they're contradictory at all, and I think there's been a real concerted effort in the last couple of years to make them. I wear a mask because I think the mask works and reduces my risk, but I also don't want to live in a society where I determine in what I think is an endemic, not necessarily a pandemic now, and a pandemic, if it still exists, of people who are older, more frail, obese, over 60. So with the greatest of respect, I don't think it's contradictory that I want to take all precautions that I can with my ability to protect myself, wear a mask, socially distance. But I don't feel at a grocery store I can give you a stink eye because you've made a different choice without me knowing your vaccination status or not. I think at some point we live in a society and I am not in control of the person next to me. I appreciate people don't like that view. But I am a person who believes my choices are for myself. And unless somebody can show me that we're back in a stage where we're all going to drop dead tomorrow and that the vaccines don't work and et cetera, et cetera, my belief is that your gentleman caller, I have no more ability to tell him what to do and command him than he has to command me. Back to the phone lines. Laura in Richmond. Hi, Laura. Go ahead. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Um, I think your guest is very angry. He's very divisive. He's not someone that I would want in my circle of friends. And he talks about older people and frail people and sick people. There's so many people that through no fault of their own are vulnerable to this disease. And he's leaving those people out. I asked my dentist yesterday if they were all vaccinated because I have an appointment tomorrow. I would have cancelled if they're not. I have a right 
to know. I have a right to choose, and that's not stepping on anyone's feet. Did, did your did your dentist answer that question when you asked? Absolutely. Okay. And when I go to restaurants, if they don't want to answer, I don't want to give them my money because they could. He says, "Well, he doesn't want them to have COVID." Uh, yeah, nobody does, but they might be asymptomatic and not know they've got it. Okay, Ari, so, go, Ari let's get Ari's response to that. Yeah. Go ahead, Ari. Sure, there's two parts to that. One, when people don't have strong arguments, they try and demonize their opponent or make it personal. So I won't resort to what your guest did by trying to talk about somebody she doesn't know. She doesn't know me at all or know that I'm the happiest person on the earth. She misses the point entirely, and Mike, you picked it up before me. So with all due respect to your guest, Mike, you stole my thunder which is if you want to know if your dentist or restaurant is vaccinated, and again, why you want to know if they're vaccinated versus whether they took a rapid test today and have COVID utterly escapes me. Your guest, without personalizing it, because I don't resort to that tactic, your guest did exactly what she should do. And in fact, I do the same thing. I'm going to the dentist and I ensure, whether it's a haircut or a dentist, that they're not just wearing some lousy surgical mask or, you know, the cheap ones. I'm yeah. only going to go to a place where it's wearing a good KN95 or N95. Again, people need to understand that that is my decision. The government imposing it or me telling your guest how to live her life in what I believe is now an endemic is not the way I see okay. society, and she's entitled to disagree with me. Let's squeeze in one more call here. Shannon in Langley. Shannon, you got 30 seconds. Go ahead. Hi, Ari. I'd be more than happy to be your friend and join into your friendship circle. You have the voice of reason that we are sorely lacking today in our society. We have gone completely backwards as human beings. It is not my right to know your vaccination status nor your HIV status. Do you ask your surgeon if they've got HIV before they perform a surgery on you? No, you don't. We're beyond that. And we need to get back to reality. We are in an endemic. Ari, I completely agree with you. Love to have you as a lawyer, and I'd vote for you as premier. Okay, okay, Shannon, thank you for the call. Okay, Ari, you got a fan there. Ari, you got 30 seconds here to to wind this up. Ari, you're a lawyer. Do you think there's any uh, legal jeopardy here with this forcing professionals to disclose their vaccine status to their patients? I I think there is, but in the 30 seconds that we have left, I think the one issue here is you've got to remember that the regulatory bodies of these professions have taken a real line in the sand. And And in Ontario, I can tell you, if you don't do and think a certain way, you're at the risk of losing your medical license. So I think there's a bigger picture. I appreciate your, your, your guest's kind words. The HIV argument is one that we don't have time for, but there's okay. really interesting case law on that. But I do appreciate her kind words. Ari, thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Mike. All right. Welcome back to the show. And here we go now with the COVID protocol changes announced yesterday by Dr. Bonnie Henry. And there's a lot of changes here. We talked about the extended health providers like dentists, massage therapists, chiropractors. They will be required to disclose their vaccination status to their patients. Also, the BC vaccine card gone starting this Friday. No more showing proof of vaccination to go into a pub, restaurant or movie theater. And... Time for another booster shot. So the fourth dose of the vaccine coming to British Columbia. Here's Dr. Bonnie Henry talking about that yesterday. We are going to be offering a spring booster for elders and seniors. 
as the people being most at risk. We will be providing it to residents of long-term care at any age and assisted living, and for community seniors 70 and over, as well as Indigenous people at age 55 and older. All right, Dr. Bonnie Henry speaking yesterday. Let's discuss now with my guest, Dr. Brian Conway, Medical Director at the Vancouver Infectious Disease Centre, and I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Hey, Brian, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me back, Mike. You, you bet. Let's start with the booster shot. So booster shot number two coming to British Columbia, starting with seniors there, as you heard Dr. Henry describe. What do you think of this? This is the beginning of the slow walk towards us all getting a booster, a fourth shot. By the fall, it makes sense to roll it out the way she is doing it. This is our first line of defense. Let's use it. Yeah. And what is the value of that booster shot? Well, we know that right now with the Omicron BA2 being the dominant variant, that you need a minimum of three shots to be well protected. In some people, immunity will wane more quickly. They need a fourth shot right now. And it really is all about adapting our approach to the new variant. And it requires more shots. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. Why do... You know, for some people who are listening right now and thinking, like, why do we have to keep taking these shots? Now you're talking about a fourth dose of of the vaccine when we know that people who are fully vaccinated are getting COVID. So why keep taking these vaccines? Well, we're still talking about fully vaccinated being two shots, and that worked with the other variants, not so much with Omicron. What the two shots are doing is making it so that if you get infected, you're less sick. And we're definitely seeing that. Many people getting infected, but they're less sick. So the key here is immunity wanes, the variants change. We need more shots to keep up with COVID. Right. And for people who are like, it's interesting that the third shot of the, the vaccine, the first booster shot, we haven't seen the uptake on that booster to the levels that some officials would like. Why do you think that is? Do you think people get a little complacent about it? Complacent, tired. I hear on the street all the time, COVID is gone. It's not. We need to fine-tune our message that we live in a world of COVID. There's personal responsibility. Part of this is going out and getting your third shot. All right. Speaking to Dr. Brian Conway, Vancouver Infectious Disease Center, let's talk about the BC vaccine card system. It's been in place for some time, but it will be gone starting this Friday. So no more proof of vaccination required to go to a pub, a restaurant, movie theater. Some businesses, though, could, would still be allowed to continue asking for proof of vaccination if they want. Here's Dr. Bonnie Henry talking about the vaccine card yesterday. We are in a position where we continue to make progress and removing some of the measures that are no longer necessary all the time. One of those is the the BC vaccine card, which was very effective at supporting people to get vaccinated. Okay, Dr. Conway, good idea to drop the vaccine card at this point. Two choices. We get rid of it or we update it so that it counts three shots, which is really what being fully vaccinated now means. So of those two things, the best approach, I think, is to get rid of it and make sure that we all understand that we're personally responsible even without a vaccine card, for limiting transmission of COVID. Yeah. What do you say to people who think that this is being too hasty and that we're dropping these measures too soon? Well, I think some people would have wanted us to wait for COVID to be at uh, a few cases a day, less than 10, before we started lifting measures. That's not realistic. That's not going to happen. Probably won't happen for the next 
year or more. So in that setting, what we're seeing is not ignoring COVID and taking away all the rules. We're shifting the responsibility from public health regulations to individuals understanding how they can do their part to limit the spread of COVID. And it is in that spirit that these provincial rules are being lifted. Yeah, you mentioned that COVID is not gone away. It's still here. You can still get quite ill from it. What are we... What does it look like in our healthcare system right now in terms of the infection rate and the number of people landing in hospital? Well, the number of people landing in hospital is going up. The infection rate, we don't know. We don't count it well enough anymore for for the figures to make any sense. Uh, The healthcare system is still stressed, but in a way that we can deal with it. And it's up to us to try to limit that stress. Get your shots, wash your hands, stay home if you're sick, use masks when it makes sense to do so. Let's listen to another comment from Dr. Bonnie Henry speaking yesterday at her news conference about where we are in the pandemic right now. Here's what she had to say. We are transitioning from these broad societal orders where we needed all of these measures all of the time. But it's not all or nothing. We need to learn to live with COVID-19 better to make sure that we continue our good habits that protect us, our family, and our community. Okay, so she's talked about that before, that we reach a stage in, in this pandemic where COVID is just simply not going away and we will have to live with it. One st- statistic that she disclosed yesterday was that it's estimated that 50% of the BC population has been exposed at this point and infected with COVID. Does that number ring true to you? Oh, absolutely. I think we're seeing it a lot. We're not diagnosing people. We're seeing people that are presenting to us for a rapid test. We do a rapid test and on, on talking to them, they probably got infected a couple of months ago also. They just didn't bother to get tested. So I think COVID is part of our reality. We need to make it matter less and less by, again, being vaccinated so that if we're infected, the, uh, the, the, the clinical case is less severe and uh, taking personal responsibility in our environment to limit exposure to COVID from us and from others. Yeah, I was uh, I'm very interested in that statistic yesterday that half the population in BC has been exposed or infected with COVID at this point. Uh, do you think there are a lot of people out there who may have had COVID and didn't even know it? Oh, absolutely. I think that's yeah. very that's very likely. Uh, I think that uh, many people uh, had symptoms that they worked through over a couple of days and didn't think uh, much uh, much of it. And I yeah. think in many cases that was COVID. So let's 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 realize that it's around. Yeah. The other the other argument we hear frequently is what about the natural immunity? If you have been infected with COVID, let's say you haven't been vaccinated, but you you caught COVID, do you have some natural immunity in your system after that after catching it? Probably do, but it's not reliable enough. If you go back to the first phase of vaccination, we thought we'd vaccinate more people by taking individuals who had natural infection and only giving them one other shot rather than two full shots. And we realized that that doesn't quite work. So natural immunity may occur, but it's unreliable, at least in the me- for sure in the medium to long term. Last question for you. Do you think, Dr. Conway, that this is a virus that we will be living with far into the future? And maybe we're looking at a system where people will get an annual COVID shot, just like they're encouraged to get an annual flu shot. I think that's highly likely. The influenza pandemic occurred between 1918 and 1920, and we now get annual flu shots. So if COVID follows this script, We'll be getting a combined flu shot and COVID shot every year. Dr. Conway, I appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on.
Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Always a pleasure. All right, here we go now with Vancouver's bid to host World Cup soccer games in 2026. Now, if this sounds like it's been a bit of a flip-flop by government, yeah, it is. If you go back a few years to when this first idea was first kicked around, it was about four years ago, the B.C. government at that time said, hell no, we don't want any part of the World Cup in Vancouver. It's just too expensive. It's a waste of taxpayers' money. We don't want to deal with FIFA and all their demands for open-ended contracts. Like, just forget it. We're not going there. City of Vancouver, pretty much the same thing. Well, quite a turnaround we've had on this one. 2026 World Cup. This is the North America World Cup. So it'll be hosted by... Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Canada will get 10 games, 10 games of in the World Cup of Soccer 2026. So forget all that stuff about we don't, we're not interested in this thing. You've got the province and the city of Vancouver now. They're gung-ho for this. They want the World Cup to come to Vancouver now in 2026. Have a listen to this report here from Global News. You're going to hear Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart and also Premier John Horgan. Have a listen. I will recommend to Council that we triple our past World Cup investment in 2026 and commit up to $5 million to help stage this event. A promise from the city's mayor to help bring the 2026 FIFA Men's World Cup Games to Vancouver. Vancouver had previously withdrawn its bid back in 2018, but both the mayor and the premier say times have changed. We're coming out of a global pandemic. Our tourism sector has been buffeted perhaps more than any other sector. I'm working as hard as I can to get us on the list on a very short time frame. Yeah, okay, we're a little bit late to the party here. So the city of Vancouver and also the province scrambling here to try and get some World Cup games in Vancouver in 2026. I know that there are people in the BC government very engaged. This is a very, very active live file in government right now behind the scenes. Government talking with FIFA here to try and make this happen. All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Blake Price. Blake is a Vancouver sportscaster. He's the host of the Sakaris and Price Show podcast. Very pleased to welcome Blake back to the show. Hey, Blake, thanks for coming on today. Anytime, Mike. Okay, Blake, it's a very exciting time for Canadian soccer. We just had the men's soccer team qualify for this year's World Cup, which is pretty awesome. It's it's pretty cool how the Canadian men's team has risen up the world rankings here. You, you're you a backer of this, right? You think this is a good idea, and Vancouver should do this in 2026, correct? Well, I'm a backer of, of the conversation, certainly. and I, You don't sign on the dotted line, regardless, you know, just willy-nilly and, and uh, you know, uh, 
you know, permutations be damned, you have to do your education and you have to go in there eyes wide open and realize it's a negotiation with one of the yeah, more, more ruthless negotiators in the history of sport in FIFA, certainly. But, you know, things are changing for FIFA, for uh, organizations like FIFA and the IOC, where uh, they've had enough scandal on their hands uh, that they need a little bit of good news, which is why the, uh, the Olympic bid, the Indigenous-led Olympic bid, uh, is going to carry a lot of water uh, in the future with uh, carry a lot of weight with uh, the IOC because th- they need some good news. You know, th- uh, you know things like Qatar, the Qatar World Cup, things like the Brazilian Olympics. You know, they can't just keep doing this. Uh, the, even the Beijing Games, for for instance, these are stains on these organizations. They need to be able to go back to uh, these countries and and these uh, government organizations to be able to say, no, no, no. See, we actually do have conscience. We are going to the right places. So this is a, a plug and play situation for for FIFA. This is a world class facility in a world class city. Um, they want to be here. The city and the province want them to be here. You know, get them in the room and let's hammer out a deal that works for everybody. What What are you hearing, Blake, from your sources? Because if we go back to when this all started at first, we heard there were excessive demands from FIFA and the province didn't like what FIFA was putting on the table. I mean, there were things like at BC Place Stadium, they wanted not one, but two natural grass field so they wanted a real grass field installed at bc place and not just one they wanted another one as a backup in case something went wrong with the first one and the government was saying like are you kidding me really they wanted a separate power grid to power the entire stadium just in case there's a power failure during a game like is that still on the table are you is that what are you hearing from your sources on this I mean, details of demands, I don't have any insight into those sorts of things. I will say this, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a metaphor or analogy of, of this, is that, you know, when you, when you go to a used car lot and they tell you how much the car costs, do you let them tell you that and they tell you the number and you just walk away and go, oh, <laughs> that's too much, I can't afford that, you just walk away and you park that, you know, that, that uh, desire to have a car? No, you... you you go back and forth, Nego- and you hash, you hash, you hash out a deal. So yeah. I think FIFA and the powers that be in soccer were a little bit uh, gobsmacked that they put their cards on the table, and our governments looked at it and just walked away. They went home, and they yeah. they didn't come back with any solutions or any problem solving techniques. So it sounds like that's finally happened now. But at the time, they were a little bit surprised. I think that there was just no back and forth really. Yeah, one of the other things that the government was originally concerned about was they said that FIFA was demanding the right to unilaterally change the terms of the agreement after the government had signed it. And I was actually shown some of the wording on this in the proposed deal. And it said, quote, it would allow FIFA to add, quote, multiple modifications and or enhancements and or additional requirements in the deal with government picking up any additional costs. And this is one of the things that really scared off government. Let me play a clip here for you, Blake, on this point. This is Moshe Lander, who is a sports economist, pointing out what it's like to deal with on FIFA on these points. Here's what he had to say. The thing with FIFA is that they micromanage every site that's going to host World Cup games. And what happens is FIFA starts showing up saying, I don't like this. I want this. Add this. And that's when the cost can start to go up. Hey, Blake Price, your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly a risk, and that's why you have to set your boundaries uh, a little bit when you're organizing this. Uh, I know a lot of those clauses, and I, I went to my sources to discuss a lot of those clauses at the time, and what I got back was we have never executed that clause in the history of that clause being in the contracts. So a lot of that stuff is in there as a force majeure sort of uh, catch-all, but it's never executed on by FIFA. So we'd have to take it on a case-by-case, clause-by-clause basis, but a lot of these things are there, and they don't get executed on by, by FIFA whatsoever. So, and, and you, again, points of negotiation for the province and the city, but FIFA wants to be here. So you do have power if you're the bc government in the city of vancouver to say listen we've got the best facility and it is the best facility for the fifa world cup in canada bmo is a nice facility in toronto but it's not going to come close to the capacity nor with the luxury suite capacity uh that bc place has commonwealth stadium is a century old like there's nobody that can touch what bc place is right now they want to be there so there will be a give and take in this process Okay, speaking to Vancouver sportscaster Blake Price about Vancouver's bid to host some World Cup soccer games in uh, 2026. Hey, Blake, do you think it's worth the money at the end of the day? Like in Toronto, there were talk. There was talk there about a report came out that said maybe Toronto would get five games, and it could cost all levels of government like 290 million bucks. Is it worth it for that kind of loot? Well, you know, there are differing studies on hosting sports, period, from an economic standpoint. You can find a lot of, uh, a lot of studies that will tell you that it is vastly overrated hosting. The costs are, uh, are not recouped and that, you know, restaurants and bars and stuff like that, for whatever bump that they get, it's, it's negligible to just regular sporting events being uh, held in the city. Um, and you can find some that will tell you that it, you know, it, it can actually absolutely launch a city into, into the stratosphere. So, uh, you know, I, I think you can really boil this down to worst case scenarios. In the worst case scenario, do you lose a few million? Do you break even something to that? Like pretend you don't make money, but you don't lose a ton either. And what does the city get? Like, you know, you can, people can bring up the, the Olympic Games. We can debate till we're blue in the face about, whether or not they broke even in the end, whether they lost X million. Like, I, I just don't know anybody that didn't have an indelible memory to the Olympic Games. Um, yeah. Coming out of this pandemic, to me, that's worth something. And we can, we can never do things. And I was saying, let's say again, not you sign your life away, you sign your soul away to, to FIFA. But if we never do things, if we never have festivals of this, that, and the other because, oh, it's too loud in Stanley Park for a music festival, if we uh. never do anything, all we're going to do is sit inside of our houses and have a pretty lonely uh, existence. Like it does, you do need to spend to get. And you know, I I wouldn't go into any of these events, the IOC or or FIFA organizations. I wouldn't go into any of these events thinking, boy, we are going to make so much money and get giddy on that thought. No, go into that with the thought of we're going to give something to the city. And if we break even great, if it costs us a few million, still great. But you have to, in this world, give your citizens something to hold on to. Otherwise, all we have is our backyards. And okay. we, we do need a little bit of something. You have to guard against losing hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. But provided that you think you've got the safeguards to prevent losing hundreds of millions of dollars, 
Did I say you go and do things? You 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 add the policing to have the fireworks. Like again, all these events, you know, they add something to the community. And do you do you put up safeguards? Yeah, you do. But you also can see that maybe it does cost you a little bit, and that's okay too. Okay, Blake, it's been great to have you on here and get your perspective on this today. Thanks for a lot for coming on. Anytime. All right, here we go now with one of the eternal debates in our city. Should cyclists be licensed and insured just like motorists are using the road? Is it time? More cyclists are using the road. More roads are being converted into bike lanes. So should cyclists play by the same rules as others sharing the same road? Now, this is a hot story right now, especially after the case of Vancouver cyclist Ben Bolliger. We talked about his case on the show earlier. He's the guy who got hit by a BMW last year while he was riding his bike. ICBC sent him a bill for 3700 bucks to the damage to the car, noting in the letter he received that he was riding an uninsured vehicle. Yeah, his bike, uninsured. Should he should he have been insured? Should he be licensed to ride a bike in the city of Vancouver? Did you know that Vancouver previously did license a cyclist a long time ago? You got to go way back in the Wayback Machine here for this one. 1957 was when it ended. But prior to that, you had to have a license plate on your bike. And they phased it out in the late 50s. Now, some people want to do a back-to-the-future move here. Bring that back. License bicycles and sure cyclists. Uh, there's talk about this in, in cities in Canada and in other countries, too, notably in the United Kingdom. Have a listen to this. This is a lawyer in the U.K. His name is Nick Freeman, and he's been on the front lines trying to argue for licensing cyclists in the united kingdom have a listen to what he says i would literally adopt the same rules and regulations that relate to motorists and apply them to cyclists um, including insurance i would also make them wear helmets high-vis jackets going through red traffic lights driving without due care dangerous driving i would have a point system and possibly more importantly than all that it, for all that to work you need to be able to identify the driver the cyclist uh, and i would uh, insist that on the back of their tabard they have a, an identification number which is peculiar to them. And so we know at any one time, not who the bike belongs to, but who the cyclist is. Okay, can you imagine that? Every cyclist you saw on the street would have a number on their back or somewhere on their bike to uh, identify those. Some people want. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Albert Cole. Albert is an environmental lawyer. He's a road safety advocate. I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Albert, thank you very much for coming on today. Oh, th thank you, Mike. It's my pleasure. Okay, what do you think of this idea? I mean, this is one that's been batted around a few times, licensing and insuring cyclists. Is that a good idea or not? No. First of all, in terms of licensing, uh, it, it's not going to happen because no government's going to take on that big administrative burden. Uh, you mentioned that uh, Vancouver used to have a licensing uh, system, and it's not actually a licensing system like we do for motorists. It was simply a registration system for your bike. You had to register your bike. We had that in Toronto as well for about uh, 25 years. A big problem with it is that uh, we ended up having cops chasing children. And, uh, you know, it was really quite an embarrassment. And 
and it lasted for 25 years. Now, the reason they brought it in is they said, well, it'll be more e- it'll be easier for police to return stolen bikes. Well, once the city started getting a lot of revenues, and because there were up to 40,000 cyclists uh, registered at the time, uh, they enjoyed the revenues. But as soon as the, the revenues uh, started uh, being exceeded by the cost, then they were no longer interested, regardless of the fact of what the original purpose was. So first of all, I don't think it ever happened. I mean, what, when people talk about licensing, they confuse it with the driver's license. So when they, but what, they, what actually the politicians are talking about, uh, as well as your, uh, you know, quoted uh, person from uh, uh, the UK, is registering bicycles. There's no testing, there's no training. If that's what we want, and, and I think personally it'd be a great thing to put in grade schools, if that's what we want, that's what we should do. But a licensing system, is, first of all, it's not going to happen. And secondly, it's very cumbersome. And thirdly, right now, what we want to do, I mean, you know, your listeners are all fa- familiar with the term atmospheric river, heat to dome. I mean, these are, you know, lived experiences. We want to get more people out of cars and onto bikes. If you, you know, add another burden, uh, that's, you know, it really counterproductive to what we're trying to achieve, what our urgent priorities are right now. What do you think about the idea of requiring cyclists to be insured? Because this is another one, and I hear this frequently, that some drivers believe that there are some dangerous or irresponsible cyclists out there and that maybe they should be required to have insurance to drive their bike on the road, just like motorists are. And I'll play another clip here for you, Albert, get your thoughts. This is UK lawyer Nick Freeman again here complaining about cyclists who break the laws and get away with it. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I'd like penalty points to be introduced for cyclists in exactly the same way as they are for motorists. If a motorist commits a speeding offence, he has three to six points potential disqualification. A cyclist cannot actually be prosecuted for speeding, which is just a ridiculous state of affairs. Cyclists will just continue to take the view, well, look, I'm not likely to get caught, and if I do get caught, uh, I'm not going to get a serious punishment. Okay, that's uh, UK lawyer Nick Freeman, who gets under the skin of cyclists in the United Kingdom there, for sure. Like, one of the things he said there, Albert, was that in the UK, he said you can't, if you're on your bike, you can't be prosecuted or written up for a ticket for speeding. Is that is that the case in Canada, too? Um well, there are um, certainly rules around on trails, for example. Um, on our trails here, uh, there is a speed limit of 20, and you certainly can, and, and the police have uh, ticketed uh, cyclists. So, so first of all, I mean, cyclists are... Um, must obey the rules of the road, and if they don't, they can be um, they they can be ticketed as as can a motorist for um, uh, violating uh, road rules. So, uh, you know, if if someone is saying uh, cyclists are getting away with, well, number one, they can be um, ticketed as anyone else, and um, secondly, this uh, argument, and it's a tired old argument uh, that is so out of date that cyclists can't be identified. Well, first of all, a cyclist who is seen um, observed by police going through a red light must stop and give their name. Now, that's the law, and it's been the law for, you know, about a quarter century, but we still have politicians here in Toronto as well repeat that tired old argument. And the other thing is, uh, uh, you you know, in terms of cyclists not being identified, now you've got cameras, you've got cell phones, you've got all sorts of things. A little plate on the back of your bike, I mean, who's going to be able to to 
remember that little number on a plate. So, so I think these are yeah. you know spurious arguments, and they're old arguments. And uh, even even our politicians no longer make these arguments because they're such tired old arguments. What about the argument though that? We see a lot of cities now putting in bike lanes. Certainly we have a lot of bike lanes have been installed in Vancouver, Victoria. Other cities are doing it. And it bothers the driving public, the motorists out there, say, you know, I'm paying a fortune in gas taxes and uh, licensing and insurance here. And now I see all this infrastructure being built for cyclists, and they're not paying their fair share. Your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, we hear that as well. I mean, for example, as a homeowner, I'm I'm paying a property taxes, and I pay, pay I think I pay a fair bit, and that goes into the local roads. Uh, you know, traditionally we haven't had bike lanes, but I've still had to pay to be um, on you know pay my share as a homeowner. Uh, so, and, and it's also context, right? So the reason driving, and I agree, it's horribly expensive. I don't, I'm not interested in owning a car. I wouldn't want to own a car. Uh, it's very, very expensive. But, but even despite that, that heavy cost, you're, you're not paying your, you know, the full cost of, of, uh, of operating a car because we have subsidized parking and various other uh, benefits uh, to motorists. But, but it's also context. I mean, as I said, we're trying to encourage uh, cycling. And the reason motoring is so uh, regulated is because it's, you know, dramatically uh, more dangerous uh, for, for the obvious reason that cars are powerful, they're heavy, they're fast. And, you know, we don't need to, to uh, explain to anyone how dangerous they can be. Uh, look at the statistics, like I was just looking in, ter- in terms of the metro Vancouver area, you've had almost 200 dead in the period 2016 to 2020 and 170,000 injured. I mean, those are car crashes. I mean, I mean, the scale is totally different for us cyclists. And, and just sort of, uh, you know, preparing for this interview, I did a little um, search on Google in terms of last time a, a cyclist killed a pedestrian versus the last time someone, you know, was killed in, in a lawnmower accident. And, you know, the latter was much more recent uh, because uh, bicycles can be dangerous, but we're talking about orders of magnitude lower right. than a car. All right, talking about licensing and insuring a cyclist with my guest, Albert Cole. Lots of calls on this one. Armin in Vancouver. Hi, Armin, go ahead. Oh, hi, Mike. I just wanted to know, last night I was, uh, I'm an Uber driver, so I'm on roads all the time. Last night I was on the corner of BD and Cambia. I was behind red light and I saw this cyclist just went through the red light without even slowing down. Ooh, Dangerous. So I was like, yeah, super dangerous. And at time to time I see them, they don't stop for the stop signs. So my default reaction when I see a cyclist on a stop sign, I would just like wait and I let them go. Yeah, no, you got to be, you got to be cautious. Thank you, thank you for that call, Albert. What do you think of that? Uh, well, it's uh, yeah, that's obviously uh, illegal. Uh, we tend to focus, you know, uh, when, when you're in a car, you see those sorts of things. What we, you know, what other people see, whether you're if you're on a foot or on your bike, is speeding is endemic by cars, right? And I think people often don't appreciate what the dangers of that. And what we do know is that every kilometer over the speed limit, I mean, if it's, let's say if it's thirty, it is is an added risk to um, you know makes the likelihood of serious injury or death greater. But but we've we've been 
acclimatize in a way to saying, well, that's not such a bad thing, speeding. But but we know that's you know it's a great factor in terms of making our roads more dangerous and of killing right. people. So should should the cyclists go through the red light? No, it's against the law. Yeah, Billy in Coquitlam. Hi, Billy. Go ahead. Thank you for taking my call, Mike. Sure. Uh, I just want to bring something to your attention. Three years ago, it happened behind uh, VGH. I was bringing my child home from uh, a counseling session, right. and I had this cyclist. He drove by my car, stopped in front of my car, and started shining his lights right in my eyes. I phoned the cops to complain, but I couldn't give any details about that because there's nothing on the bike. There's no number. I don't know who the guy was. So why, well, did he, why did he do that? I have no idea. He just came on the other side of my car and just stopped. He was basically, it, the, this, I got scared because it was a very harassing situation. I was trying to calm my child down who was crying. So I had no opportunity to, to get down and ask him why he was doing that. So, so just, you, would have, you would have liked an, a, a way to identify him? I, I, I couldn't. I wanted to get down to see who he was, get the information, but I, yeah. I couldn't. I was scared. Okay, thanks for the call. Albert, your thoughts? Well, it's obviously, you know, that's not, it's discourteous behavior and, uh, you know, no one would encourage that. I mean, in terms of identifying, I mean, how many, what is the first question we, or the first uh, issue we see reported in papers now when someone is hit on the road and killed or seriously injured? We say, did the drivers stay, the drivers stay on the site? And uh, so, so obviously hit and run is, is a big problem. And this is despite the fact that motorists and motor cars are both registered and licensed. So, so that, okay. that's, it's not the issue. Daryl on the line in, in Vancouver. Hi, Daryl, go ahead. Yeah, hi. Um, good morning. You know, the, um, this issue of not being able to uh, get people on bicycles licensed because it'll be too difficult. Come on. That's saying you can't get there from here. Attach it to the driver's license or their BC identification card so these people can be ticketed and held accountable. A good example. You, you ride a motorcycle without a helmet, cops are all over you like ugly on an ape. But yet people ride around without bicycle helmets all the time. Why? Because they're not accountable. So if they're going to use the road, follow the rules, get a license, and pay your fines. As far as insurance goes, if we know who you are, if you don't want to buy insurance, then we'll take it out of your paycheck. Okay. Either way, they got to pay if they do damage. Okay, Daryl, thank you for the call. Well, you do occasionally see cyclists riding without a helmet on. I mean, every, everybody does. I think use of the helmet is increasing. I know I have talked to cops who have told me that they've written up a cyclist for a ticket for not riding without a helmet. Maybe they should do it more often. Doug in Surrey on the line. Hi, Doug, what do you think? Hi, Mike. I see them all the time out here in Surrey. I live up by the King George Skytrain, and you go south on the bike lane. I'll meet them all the time coming north in the southbound lane. They got the little uh, hoodie pulled down over their face. If you can't identify them and they're deliberately going against the flow of traffic or shooting a red, Grab the, like the cops would be busy all day, unfortunately. Grab the bike, it goes in the crusher, and put these jerks to work <laughs> doing hard labor. Okay, well, man, oh man, that is pretty harsh. All right, Doug, thank you for that. Squeeze in one more. Drew on the North Shore. Hi, Drew, you got 30 seconds here. Go ahead. Oh, hey there. Um, just a quick thing. Uh, I'm a regular cycle commuter, and so are my friends. And I know someone who's been ticketed for breaking the rules on their bikes. Yeah. Uh, bikes, we do, we do break the rules and bend the rules a lot. Cyclists are pretty, uh, pretty chancy, right? Um, what about a school program teaching kids from a young age how to deal with bicycles, whether they become a driver or not? 
then everybody's kind of more prepared to adapt to the whole life with both on the road at the same time. Okay, well, that's an interesting idea. Albert Cole, your thoughts on that? you got 30 seconds here. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Uh, it, I find it ironic that for, you know, 50 years or longer, we've talked about this is- issue of, uh, you know, cycling, uh, cyclist skills or cyclist behavior, and then instead of putting it in the schools, we, you know, we think of this punitive system uh, of licensing. Well, that doesn't solve the problem because it's a registration system. Put it in the schools. I think it's a fabulous idea. I think kids would love it, and it would be great for everyone. Albert, thank you for coming on today. My pleasure. Thank you.